Hello and welcome to episode 353 of the Fabulous Pelton Cast, sponsored by our friends at Pagliacci Pizza. I'm your co-host, Kevin Pelton. And I'm Tristan Carcino. And we are coming to you from Renton, Washington, home of the Super Bowl 48 champion, Seattle Seahawks. And this is... Super Bowl 48 MVP Malcolm Smith edition wow, of the I, Pelton cast. I forgot that that was the case entirely, and, and you landed that one successfully. There we well go. done. Well, this we've is got... an important Pelton cast. <laughs> They're all a, a very special Pelton cast. On a very special. Uh, we've got a lot of Seahawks news to talk at the end of this week's pod because the NFL Draft Combine is happening, and Pete Carroll and John Schneider met the media. But we start. With the return of an old friend, for the first time, I, I don't know if we drank this at any point in the interim while it wasn't distributed in Washington, but... Uh, I did. I definitely did. But on the podcast. Yeah, okay. I mean, I had it last summer, so it hasn't been that long. But uh, for the first time, purchased in the state of Washington in over a decade, we have, from our friends at Russian River Brewing, they were our enemies at Russian yeah. River Brewing for a while. Friends now. <laughs> Plenty the elder. Friends again. Double IPA, which, if you're unfamiliar, Pointy the Elder is brewed with Amarillo, Centennial, CTZ, and Simcoe hops. It is well-balanced with malt hops and alcohol, slightly bitter with a fresh hop aroma of floral, citrus, and pine. Best enjoyed fresh! Fresh! That is why we make it in such a limited supply. The actual bottling date is printed on each bottle. Oh, it's got a born-on date. Sadly, we have not enjoyed this fresh because I purchased it the weekend of the Super Bowl and then brought it over to your house, and we had the uh, blind pig uh, during the Super Bowl. What's the born-on date, guy? But we're saving this for a Pelton cast, and then we did not record in person for the next two weeks in a row. I'm sorry that all of my children were puking everywhere. (laughs) I literally cannot find... Oh, there we go. There we go. Bottled on... Oh, this is very compelling audio. February 3rd. So that's still pretty fresh. That That is still quite fresh. February then. 3rd, 2023. Well, it says 12.35, and it's like, it was bottled on December 35th. <laughs> <laughs> but no, up, up above it says 0203.23, so. Is that, is that the time it was brewed, you think? That might be the time, 12.35. Yeah. Okay, not the date. Got it. We really got to the bottom of that one. <laughs> well, Pelton cast detective work. We yeah, still have we not figured out. We found out it wasn't bottled on December 35th. Still, still have not figured out that Macklemore manner, but <laughs> we got to the bottom of this one. And there was, it wasn't us, but there was some successful detective work that we're going to toast to in a second here. Really? Once you get this point. You know about this information. I have completely forgotten. <laughs> you just don't think, you just are not picking up what I've laid down. Oh, yes, yes. But I like first, it. we should talk about. We are now, is, it's still February as we record this. Maybe by the end of the podcast, depending how long we go, it will be March. But by the time you listen to this, surely it will be March, which means the next month is PeltonCast Live, wow. Spring 2023, the NFL Draft Edition. Coming up Friday, April 21st at Belltown Yacht Club. Be there. And I, I want to say, this is not, not necessarily some news, but we're like kind of running low on tickets for PeltonCast Live. PeltonCast Live can sell out. Uh, we have 19 tickets left for PeltonCast Live. And even then, that is a packed, it is a packed house at sellout. So we're going to have a very fun night. Uh, brand new PeltonCast merch. You know what to expect from PeltonCast Live. Fun, come hungry, surprises, talking taco time with special guests. 
I'm not, I'm not saying it. You're ready to get mad at me with many of the co-hosts of Talking Taco Time. A minimum of three. A minimum. (laughs) And possibly all four. And an NFL draft preview of the number five pick in the draft or whatever the Seahawks trade down to. You know that the Anthony Richardson hype is going to be, it is going to be scintillating at that point. We are going to be floating with hype for Anthony Richardson at that point. Or is the hype going to be about who the Seahawks might, which quarterback the Seahawks might take at number five? I mean, I suppose it could be Richardson too, but. That's what I'm talking about. We're taking him number five. I just, people, we've, we've all drafted Anthony Richardson in our heads now in the city of Seattle. (laughs) I haven't conducted any PFF mock drafts yet need to get on that mock draft simulator. I also need to learn who many of the prospects are. Well, that's going to be with NFL draft guru from the ringer, Danny Kelly. Nobody better to teach us about these prospects. Uh, cannot freaking wait for this Pelton cast live. It is going to be one of the best nights of the year. We're going to have uh, many of the partners that you hear on this podcast uh, in the house. We have not asked any of them, but confident <laughs> they'll say yes. <laughs> we we are optimistic. Plus, about that. bingo surprises and exclusive, not Peltoncast merch, at Peltoncast Live. Exclusive merch only available there. And if there was only another podcast we did that you could identify, yes. which what merch Trader it might be. Bros <laughs> merch? Finally, people might do that. Finally, Trader Bros merch. All right. Well, first off, this week. Uh, wanted to share with everybody that there will be a celebration of life for former Storm player Simone Edwards this Saturday, 7 p.m. at Queen Anne Beer Hall. Uh, RSVP required for that. Uh, we'll post the link, of course, on the post notes. You and I are both out of town. We we are, in fact. I'm, I'm sad I'm not going to be able to be a part of that one. I'm sure it'll be a very emotional night. Uh, in happier news, congrats to UW softball legend Danielle Laurie, who will be part of the all-female class of inductees to the Pac-12 Hall of Honor this year to celebrate the 50th anniversary of Title IX. All right. Danielle Laurie, most famously leading UW to the only national title in softball history, women's softball history, uh, in incredible, iconic NCAA tournament run and career at UW. All right. This is this we is need the to actually toast. This is uh, sure. This is the detective work we're actually toasting here. Welcome back to the Lorelius Northwestern Ooh. Airstream trailer recovered after being stolen on Friday. This was pretty devastating news when we heard that the Airstream trailer was stolen. This is the site. If if you remember way back, Peltoncast Live, not Peltoncast Lives, Peltoncasts have been recorded in the Peltoncast. Peltoncast has been recorded in the Airstream trailer. There, there was a little more rough and double days in the Peltoncast. Oh, certainly in terms of audio quality. <laughs> I think someone else came into the Airstream trailer while that, we were recording. That's, right? that's how you know that's top-notch content. They walked in, were like, uh, and then walked out. <laughs> grand opening, grand closing. Uh, I think that was one that we recorded just like on your phone, right? We had no microphones or anything. We just... I'm I'm certain it was, yes. Oh, that's good stuff. <laughs> good stuff. In the Airstream trailer, though, uh, the site of all the best experiences is no longer in the back patio at that's, Loretta's. That was the first thing we learned when it was missing is that it still existed. Yeah. No, it I, was still I on the premises, at least. So it was stolen from somewhere. Just bold to steal an Airstream trailer also. Uh, especially such a notable Airstream trailer. Yes. like. That one's hard to hard to hide. So glad that was recovered and is back to its rightful home 
as part of at Loretta's. I guess that's all I have in terms of toast. We do have this week. We should toast to the Airstream trailer being back, though. I thought I thought we already did, but uh, we do have this week a listener correction from the Louisiana listener Warren Arsenault, who wanted to point out to us. No one else mentioned this that I saw. Steve McNair. We said he went to McNeese State when uh-huh. we were talking about the Huskies I, playing I said McNeese that. You State. Corrected me. Did I? Or no? I don't know that I did. He went to Alcorn State in Mississippi. Alcorn State. Uh, McNeese State, which is there in Lake Charles, Louisiana, best known as the alma mater of Basketball Hall of Famer Joe Dumars, is the McNeese State. Also the alma mater of Seahawks safety special teamer Kerry Joseph, who was a quarterback at McNeese State and later in the CFL, now an assistant QB coach for the Seahawks. And uh, he noted the, the loss by the Huskies at McNeese State uh, the previous week. Not a terrible loss as they beat Notre Dame twice in the NCAA tournament last year. Lost in the regional final to World College World Series, Women's College World Series participant Northwestern. And they were off to an 8-3 and three start at that point. Okay. So there you go. A little bit of Colton Cast geography on I the college I stand level. corrected. No, I said it wrong and then you corrected me, but you might have corrected me incorrectly. I, I didn't go back and listen. Okay. I said it wrong at first. And then you definitely corrected me, but you might have also been incorrect in your correction. That as, sounds plausible. As you often are. Oh, sometimes. Occasionally. <laughs> With that, should we get into our search for Seattle's best donuts? Of course we should. It took us to a couple of like very old school donut locations this week. First off, Donut Queen in the Soto District. And then second off, Lucky Donuts in Burien. I couldn't really find any much history of Donut Queen, which is one of these locations that, much like King Donuts when they were at their previous location, uh, also serves non-donut food. Like, they convert to uh, a deli later in the day specializing in Korean food. So... The, the combination there still still lives on in the Seattle area. This is a location that I've driven by thousands of times. That's, that's the thing. I feel like I've driven by there. So you were describing it to me, and I was like, I literally have driven by there Yeah, basically every single weekend for like a decade. No, I got to tell you, I went in there, and I felt the skepticism that you felt going to King Donuts. Interesting. Because... They're not one of the things I will say about both of these locations in their old school status is they're not trying to be Instagrammable. Oh yeah, no, I kind of like that. Yeah, oh no, they're not. They're not like waiting for lines of hipsters to show up and pick up the donuts that they've pre-ordered. They're just selling donuts. Uh huh. That's what they're doing to I, hungry people. No, I don't want to say that trying to be Instagrammable means that the donuts are worse. No, not at all. But that's just not not what is happening. Because there are places, like, I mean, Dojo is a very Instagrammable place, right? I mean, the responses to your post about their donuts on Saturday on Instagram were, were be- plentiful. It's a beautiful-looking donut on Instagram. The whole experience is great for Instagram, right? We understand. But it is it is kind of cool when you go into a spot and you're just like, these people are serving donuts here. <laughs> exactly. There's no U-G-H in there. Yeah. It's just straight up D-O-N-U-T-S donuts. <laughs> you're not pretentious all, about this at all. all although, as we've no, as I've noted, I still want to like graph uh, like the cost of donuts by whether they're which spelling they use. <laughs> I don't think there's as strong a correlation are you as sure? it seems like there should be. I don't know. I, th- I think there is. I don't think there is. Voodoo is notably a UGH donut. Uh, whereas I think that like General Porpoise and uh, some of the other, uh, I, I think 
I think that uh, Blue Star in Portland is also a D-O-N-U-T-S. Yeah. So it's not General quite Porpoise a... is definitely an O-U-G-H. Oh, okay. D-O-U-G-H-N-U-T-S. Right. Are you kidding out. me? You, you paid $5 for those fucking donuts. You know you're paying for that O-U-G-H. But Blue Star is not, right? Well, I don't know about Blue Star. Well, I'm just saying, oh, you know what? By the way, we did have another toast. I forgot to mention this off the top because it was it was Blue fresh. Star is D-O-N-U-T-S. That's what I'm saying. So it, it throws it off. But just because there's, that's your, that's. No, there's, I mean. You're Mr. Fucking Sample Size over here and you're like, Blue Star. Well, I, just, I just don't think there's a consistent trend from, based on what I've observed. By the way, I did forget a, a toast earlier. Toast to Julio Rodriguez, named Seattle Sports Star of the Year at, for men's team sports at the Sports Star of the Year Awards. So they, they didn't Tuesday. name the whole team. They did. They did wow. Not. They did not. That's really shocking to me. I thought when they, it was Seattle Sports Star of the Year, you were just supposed to pick an entire team and have them win. I think it's great that they've highlighted the best year that Julio will have in his entire career. God. Anyways, so... I walk in there and like the frosting is a little, a little uneven on the donuts at Donut Queen, I gotta say. And so I was skeptical, but then I, I ate them and they were quite delicious. And I really felt that they were probably up your alley because let me tell you, if you want soft bread, Donut <laughs> Queen has the softest donuts around, almost to the point of seeming a little undercooked. But again, that's what you want. Wow, that's so funny because I didn't. It didn't, you didn't register to you that that was the case? Well, it did. It definitely did. The thing that it reminded me the most of was King Donut. Yeah. Uh, uh, and I think that the, like, preparation for them. King Donut also is a very soft donut. And I think... That but much more Instagrammable. They're similar. And I think the thing that I took away was, like, I thought it was really good. But if it's similar to King Donut and I like King Donut better, it's hard for me to get to the point of... Exactly. This is Seattle's best donut. Yeah. So is it a phenomenal donut? Of course. Am I going to stop there now that I know that it exists? Am I mad? There's so many donut places where you drive by them and you're just like, I, I don't even know why I hadn't gone in. Right? It, right. It's like when you learn a new word and then all of a sudden you hear it everywhere. When you learn of a the, new donut. The Bader meinhof effect. There you go. Uh, the Bader the Bader Dohoff <laughs> effect. When referring keep, to donuts. Keep, keep workshopping that one. <laughs> D-O-U-G-H. Uh, How, what else could it be? That's perfect. I, I nailed it on the first try. Okay. You'd say so. <laughs> Hole in one. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, because of the Bader Dohoff effect, as many people are saying, it was like, I don't, again, I don't know why I didn't go in there. But now, now that I know it exists, honestly, like, I would make the drive instead of just stopping Krispy Kreme, which I did a couple weeks ago, I would make the drive another two minutes. And go to Donut Queen instead. There you go. So Lucky Donuts, we do have the history that they've been serving period for more than two decades. Wow. So Pre-revolution. Exactly. <laughs> uh, I would say a little more, more, more visually stimulating than the, uh, the donuts <laughs> at Donut stimulating. Queen. Uh, but... A similar, not quite is soft, but as similar, I think. All, I think all of these two and and King Donuts are all in kind of the same continuum of donut. I would say. Okay, that's interesting to me, because again, you went in the morning and got this. What time did you go? Uh, about ten a.m. You went at ten a.m. I got. We met up at like five p.m. 
went to an entire Bruce Springsteen, went to dinner, went to a Bruce Springsteen concert. And this is a Bruce Springsteen concert, so it lasted two hours and 45 <laughs> minutes. And we were kind of annoyed that it wasn't as long as the three-hour, 42-minute <laughs> concert the last time Springsteen played here on the River Tour. Bruce is great, by the way. <laughs> I feel like people were asking about Bruce. but About our experience with the concert? Just in general. like uh, People were asking me today about how Bruce was, and I was like, Bruce is fucking incredible. At 10 of 10, no doubts. <laughs> yeah. Anytime. That's where it's like I'd seen Bruce three times, and I was like, I would see Bruce every time. And even the songs that I don't like, the newer songs that I'm not that familiar with, don't care. I'm just like, it's just good being around Bruce. <laughs> you know what I mean? In an uncertain world, you can have a moment around Bruce Springsteen and feel okay and right with the world. Yeah. I mean, I, so I went in Portland as well, as we'll maybe touch on a little bit in a moment here. And uh, uh, I was thinking that, like, I'll go to any Bruce Springsteen concert within driving distance. And then I started to wonder, am I the kind of person who would travel to go to a Bruce Springsteen concert? I definitely. And I wouldn't rule it out. I've definitely thought about it. I, see, I think seeing Bruce in, like, New York, New Jersey would be pretty fucking incredible. That would seem like an intense experience. The Seattle crowd, definitely a notch better than the Portland crowd, I would oh, say. Oh, there we go. Yeah. There it is. <laughs> we don't have to pretend on this podcast that they're the same city like Matisse Thibel had to. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> they're just as good. The hikes are better in Portland, I guess. Get the fuck I out mean, of here. Why would you travel to Portland to go on a hike when the well, best hikes in the entire world are in Seattle, Washington? Better question. Why would you hike? <laughs> oh, wow. God, if you come out anti-hiking on this oh, podcast, no. watch yourself. <laughs> this is going to be worse than the anti-pickle take, isn't it? Oh, you boy. might just want to rethink a lot of things. Oh, boy. Anyway, I'm winning that MVP this year. <laughs> <laughs> One pickle take at a time. I'm I got, winning that MVP. I got to tell you, I, I don't know if this asked her last week's pod. I re-listened to this podcast we did in 2018 because it turned out I did not realize until I was looking back at the Burger, Seattle Burger Month history. Again, something <laughs> we'll talk about in a second, that Shota Nakajiba had done a burger before the he was on Top Chef, and I had any idea who he was. And I, for whatever reason, did not have it. You were the one who reviewed it on the pod. But the famous Cousin Katie was on that pod. And let me tell you, I got to admit, it was an MVP caliber. Was it? <laughs> what was she talking about? Uh, going, to, going to Tats and eating two sandwiches. That was the time that Katie... No, that's like what Katie... like. That's what she's won the MVP like multiple years off of. I don't know if it was specifically that time, but you at least referenced that experience that, after the fact. That was like the most powerhouse podcast performance <laughs> I feel like I've ever heard. Was was Katie talking about like awkwardly sitting in the car yeah, eating the tats. sandwiches? Yeah. yeah. No, that that was like I'm trying to think of she's like a I don't want to say Katie's a one-hit wonder or whatever. But it's like there's one track that really stands out, and Katie's been riding that wave for like a fucking decade. <laughs> it's like that's Katie's bittersweet symphony. She's she's not Bruce Springsteen in this regard, no, is what you're saying. No. But So anyway. Anyway, okay, so you, you got this done at ten AM, sat in your house all day. Sat in my car though all day. I just <laughs> sat in your car. car all day, stayed in your car, traveled to Seattle for a Bruce Springsteen concert, traveled back to Boulevard Park. I eventually ate it at like eleven o'clock. Or whatever. Yep. And it was a, not a Bavarian cream. It was just a, a cream-filled donut. Oh, because there was no chocolate on top? Yeah, there's no chocolate on top. Yeah, it was kind of confused. I didn't know whether you were going to get custard or whether you were going to get like some sort of jelly filling. It's a grab bag? You just give, say, give me a filled donut? You didn't order one? Well, I told them Bavarian cream and uh, a, a maple bar. Uh-huh. And then I got two Bavarian creams. <laughs> 
which is good because I didn't remember until after I ordered that I was supposed to get you something. <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, good, I don't have to you reorder. Got, so you were trying to get yourself a Varian cream and a maple bar? Yeah, That's and I ended up with two Varian creams and a maple bar. After all of that, I bit into it right before I was leaving to go home. And I was like, this is kind of up there with Seattle's best donut. Oh, okay. I had such an incredible moment eating that donut. I mean, look, maybe I was riding the high of Thunder Road or whatever, <laughs> but like it, it was one of those moments. It was, it was a surprise donut moment of just how good it was, given the situation and the context, which kind of reminded me of eating the general porpoise a day later. Where I was like, oh, fuck. This general porpoise is actually quite So you're saying that you like donuts aged? <laughs> no, I normally don't like donuts aged, but the general por- it was just the donut. If I would have had the same general porpoise donut. Right. Uh, I kind of thought if we were doing apples to apples, donut to donut, I would be curious to try... King versus... No, general porpoise. Oh. Versus that lucky donut. Interesting. That's all I'm saying. Wow. I mean, lucky donuts definitely has gotten... Uh, donuts came up. I I don't think. Well, no, I did bring it up because it was the party that I brought. I'm the always king, bringing up donuts. So. I brought King Donuts the day I got them to a party I got. I went to with some friends, and everyone was discussing their favorite donuts. And Lucky Donuts got a number of mentions in that. So I'm telling you straight up. Okay. I like. I want to try it again, and I want to try it like fresh and and in context. To me, they're in the bracket right now. You wow. seem like you were not on the same. No, not really. Okay, well, interesting. Let's just let's just we're gonna keep an eye on Lucky Donuts. How about that? <laughs> we, we we will continue to for sure. And I'll, I'll tra- where is it in Burien? Right on 152nd. It's what, near the, the uh, La Costa. Okay, it's in that little like strip mall there across from Grocery Outlet. Uh, like parallel to Grocery Outlet, but yes. Okay, the Grocery Outlet where Safety Not Guaranteed was filmed. There you go. I don't know if we've ever referenced that on the podcast, but now we have. Uh, so we'll see what donuts we come up with this week. It's going to be difficult because both of us are going to be eating non-Northwest donuts on our say. travels this we'll, week. We'll have donuts this week. Where I'm in Boston and New York, you're in New York. But I think we're going to need to get to some Seattle donuts because, again, I've looked at the list and I know how much time is left until Cast Live. we got a lot of donuts to get through. Well, what's up? Let's get New York dough donuts. No, dough is in Portland. <sighs> yeah, think... there could definitely not be a place called Dough Donuts somewhere else. <laughs> well, okay, fine. You maybe figure that out. That went out offline. Let's continue with Lil Woody's Seattle Burger Month. It's the final week. It is wrapping up with the Ear Piggy Piggy. Definitely for... in New York. There's. <clears throat> Oh, it's D-O-U-G-H instead yeah, of D-O-E. This is fucking New York donuts, okay? This isn't your Portland donuts over oh. here. These are Dow donuts. <laughs> not... What is the other one called? The one in Portland? Yeah. Dough donuts, but it's D-O-E. Oh. Like dough a deer, a female like deer. Dough a donut. Mm. <laughs> uh, the Ear Piggy Piggy from Chef Evan Lightling of Off Alley. Uh, this one features a beef and pork fat patty, crispy fried pig ear, Mama Lil's peppers, dill pickles, spicy mustard, and fry sauce. Uh, Chef Evans' explanation, everyone loves fried onion rings on burgers, but since we have an, an awful focus at Off Alley, I don't know if I'm pronouncing that word correctly. O-F-F-A-L. Oh, a fall? I, thought, I think it's pronounced awful. 
I think so, too. Uh, it only made sense for us to use fried pears. I love salty fried things with bright, acidic foods with a little heat, so Mama Lil's peppers and pickles just seem to make sense. Awful. Yeah. When I eat a burger, I want something fatty, salty, crunchy, and acidic, which is represented by the bacon fat, fried pig ears, and pickles. So I would say, I, I don't know if the, like, the, the fried pig ear like, really hit the spot for me. To me, the most interesting thing about this was the spicy mustard on there. I don't know that I've had spi- recall having had spicy mustard on a burger, and it was a nice compliment. I thought, especially because this one is like, like uh, uh, you know, he mentioned wanting something fatty, and it definitely is like up there when you put the fried pig ear on top of a burger fatty. It, is, it trends heavily towards that end All of right. the spectrum. I I will say, if I'm doing my Little Woody's Burger Month power rankings. I think I kind of go in the order that they came out. Okay. The E.T.'s Big Boy Deluxe combo was number one to me. The uh, the focaccia chicken sandwich, the uh, unks chicken sandwich uh, was probably number two. And then I think last week's Padre Jr. was number three. And, and the ear piggy piggy was right in that same tier. I mean, I think, you know, all, all very strong entrants this year in Seattle Burger Month. So right. you have until next Monday to check that one out. And if you've been eating along with us, get your hat from Lil Woody's. Oh, yeah. There was a whole table of four there when I was at the White Center Lil Woody's today. All of them sporting their hats. Hell yeah. I love that. Even though one of them had, was wearing it over a beating. <laughs> it's a big hat. Uh, let me. Do you want to guess what a dozen donuts, a dozen assorted dozen donuts at Doe Donuts in New York City costs? $40? It's not even close. Oh my god! How much? Sixty-five dollars. Oh no! Cents. You're paying for that O-U-G-H right there. <laughs> Assorted half dozen, thirty-two dollars and seventy cents. Oh boy! Assorted dozen donuts, sixty-five dollars and forty cents. Like this shit is. We're almost as far away from like fucking Safeway donuts as you Wait, can there, hear. Wait, there's not a, even a quantity discount. No. The half dozen is precisely <laughs> half the price of a dozen? Come on. New what York. are we doing here, Doe Donuts? This is New York City. You're paying uh, for the OUGH. I'm sorry. And you're not, they are not sparing you a cent. I'm uh, sure you are. They're, they're not rounded down. Uh, and, well, the other thing is, like, clearly it is working. There's <laughs> one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight locations. There you go. Yeah. I see a lot of cake donuts pictured on the website. I got to tell you. Literally, it says straight up yeast donuts, like on front and center on their website. I mean, I guess if your name is Doe. Doe Donuts. Yeah. I don't think they have any cake donuts. Oh, they look cakey, I guess. Your mom looks cakey. (laughs) Yeast donuts. Find these flavors. Yeah, I do not think they have a cake donut. Okay, that's good. That's good. The cake donut lobby. Don't tell them. Are you still too busy looking in the website, or should we get into Coach's Corner? Oh my god! You like psych yourself up for this one? It was this. This was quite a weekend of basketball. I will say. Do we have an intro for Coach's Corner? <clears throat> no. We should do the uh, 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 with the NBA on NBC. <laughs> uh, John Tesh or whatever. Yes. Can we can we drop that in this week? No. Okay, great. Love that. <laughs> All right. So so first off, there are only two games this week. Um, Baby is fantasy genius. His season is winding down. Fortunately, everybody's seasons are winding down. His season is winding down though, 
And um, we've been working with him on a new skill lately, and that is um, flip, flipping people off correctly. You heard him on the podcast last week. Not as much feedback as I wanted on him on the podcast. You could hear he swears so casually, right? We like to say that he's swearing at a sixth grade level or whatever. Went to conferences this week. They didn't bring it up, but, you know, we knew. And so he, you could tell from the look he was flipping. He was like trying to flip people off, but doing it hilariously wrong. And we're just like, what, what finger is he using? He, he, let me, sh- I wish that I could show this. Like he was doing it like this, like his hands sort of closed, like straight down as if you're like pointing with your middle finger to the ground. And it was just like that, that ain't it boss. Do you Did, know what I mean? He didn't have the middle finger. Ext- it was just like, like kind of curved. Did you consider in your teaching using the movie The Naked Gun, where it's part of the driving class? <laughs> extend thing? your middle finger. Yeah. Raise your right hand. Extend your middle finger. Yes. A classic. There's an Eminem line where he breaks down which finger. You know, it's the one you put up when you don't give a fuck. Right? Yes. And I'm just like, like no child of mine can flip people off incorrectly. <laughs> At least I want you to know how to do it properly. So we're like, get that thumb extended, get that finger up loud and high and show it, right? So we've been working on this for the last week or so. And not not actually, but if he flips you off, it's just like, what are you doing, dude? Like when he does it wrong. Anyway, he goes to the game. He determined going in. He was just like, he's like, this is going to be Kobe status. He was, <laughs> he was going, he was trying to break 80, right? He, he, had, he had Dame on the mind. He was trying to break 70. Yeah. yeah. But like. He went into the game being like, this is it. I'm not passing this week, right? We talked previously about how his, he was young court vision, spreading the ball around, bounce passes. This week, he was like, I'm scoring. We told him, we were like, make a few passes. If you're open, shoot, that's fine, right? Because he, he was maybe passing a little too much. Right. And so in his head, he was going to score every single point. Goes out there, misses a couple shots going into the game. And then he got a little frustrated. Oh, no. uh, he just like needed to score points to the point where he was like trying to steal the ball from his teammates, oh, dead no. balls or whatever. People got a little bit frustrated at him and he slid across the floor. You know how like soccer players when they score a goal and they slide on their knees forward did that. That is and- a kind of a signature move for him unrelated to scoring. He demonstrated his new skill proudly for everybody there to see, flipping off his own teammates. Honestly, (laughs) Earl Thomas status, right? Flipping off his own teammates. He was then removed from the game, scored zero points, ended up with zero passes. It was a, what do they call a stat line where you enter a game, but you record nothing? The trillion. Yeah, he had a, he had a trillion. Zero points, zero passes, one middle finger to his teammates in that game. Apparently Pete Carroll was in the house. Which I didn't know. The one fucking weekend I, I don't go. Pete Carroll, I guess he has a nephew or grandson. Wait, this, this is not a joke about the old Thomas thing? These... No, Pete Carroll was in the <laughs> This is what I was told on at practice earlier today. They were like, did you know that Pete Carroll was there? And I was just like... And I'm missing the last weekend of games this week too. Which Pete probably is not. He's gone. But like... My chance to be at the Renton Community Center. It makes sense, right? Yeah. What, why, why, whatever the young relation to Pete Carroll. What if my child flipped off Pete Carroll's child? <laughs> right, right? Imagine the flashbacks Pete Carroll must have had seeing that. Oh, Anyways, so that was game one. Game two, do you remember every uh, coach's corner that I've had these last three weeks about how coaching doesn't matter? Things like that. Uh, the Bad News Bears. Mighty Ducks. You recall? Yeah. 
I was so wrong. Wow. <clears throat> so we're playing against the other team who has not won a game yet. And we're like, this is our week. This is our chance to win a game. We're focused. Most of the team is there. People are showing up. We go out there. It's brutal. The, the other, like, there are not a lot of points sco being scored in any of my team's games. They come out. They go up 6 nothing. the other team. We get a three-point play, which successfully converting a three-point play is pretty impressive. That is. In a physics-grade basketball game. Get a three-point play, but just can't get any rebounds. We're getting open shots, missing every, every single one. I'm just like, like, come on, y'all. Like, let's just focus up. Let's have one good half of basketball. We go in the half down eight. But it, it felt like it was an inapproachable eight. It was like we we probably outplayed them if there were expected goals or whatever in basketball. I feel like we would have had more expected goals. Oh, if we had the second spectrum quantified shot probability. Yeah, on yeah. physics second, grade on physics quantified grade, shot yeah. probability. So we're grinding it out. We Didn't get see it, any cameras in the arena. We get it close. We get it down to like a two-point game. We're kind of going back and forth, one point, third and fourth quarter. And I've sort of arranged the lineups to where I've got like two big men and three scoring guards on the court in the last five minutes of the game. But like things, we're, again, we're going back and forth, can't quite get over the hump, right? You know how like basketball games where you're watching them and you're like, we're so close, but we can't ever just eclipse that point. Yes. A minute 30 left. We have the ball. I call a timeout where it's like literally like a minute 36 on the clock. I call timeout, try to make some subs. I'm informed that I cannot make subs. Uh, so that was it. That was the lineup that we were trying to go offense, defense. We were riding out. It's just like the subs happen every five minute period. Uh, so I was informed that I can't make subs by the referees or whatever. We're throwing it in with a minute 36 down five. And I'm like, it wouldn't hurt to hit a three to the team. It's just like, we've never made a three all season, but like now would be the time if somebody wants to step up and hit a three. Uh, this player, the assistant coach's son, steps up, does not hit a three, long two, right? Okay. We get a stop. We're down three points. Get a stop quickly, right? This other team has no idea to hold the ball, run clock here or whatever. That's fine. We're, we're living with it. He comes down, they same player. Clearly well coached enough. Another long jump shot. Bang! Scores it. We are down a point. All right. I'm like... In my head, I'm like, we're going to score this, and then they're going to they're gonna get a bucket, and the game is going to be over. We get another quick stop. He comes down. The tension in the gym, it's loud in that gym. He comes down. Same fucking player, Jordan, right? And drives. This time it wasn't a long. Those were both long jump shots from, like, the top of the key. Cuts around the defense, off the backboard. Bang. 20 seconds. We've taken the lead for the first time in the entire game. I see the other team throwing the ball in. I'm like, oh my God, we're We're going nuts, right, on the bench. And I'm like, we're going to give up points here, and it is going to be such a devastating loss. You were, you were doing like the Jay Wright thing? Yeah, I was just like, everybody be cool, right? I'm like, one stop, for the love of God, one stop defense. They put up a shot. They miss. I think the ball goes out of bounds. It's our ball. 20 seconds are left on the clock. I'm standing at this point, like, and there's a referee. Which you are not allowed to do. Legally not, but they let people stand. There's a referee who is not, like, he isn't refereeing the game. He's just he's watching. Sort of in charge, sitting on the end of the bench. And I was like, is there a 10-second violation? Because you can't defend in the backcourt. Right. And I was like, is there a 10-second violation? He's like, no. And I'm like, do not bring that ball past half court. 
the other team just defended back there, which was they had to stop play anyway for it. But I was like, you are holding that fucking ball for these 20 seconds in the backcourt. I'm screaming it at the kids. Buzzer sounds. We celebrate like we won the fucking NCAA tournament. We went fucking nuts. The kid who scored the points has tears streaming <laughs> oh down God. his face. Amazing. I was just like, I was like, I just have to make sure that these are tears of joy, Jordan. <laughs> like, I want to make sure that you're happy with this. We are going fucking apeshit. Multiple kids on the team are crying because we won this one game. It was like straight up like Ken Griffey Jr. at the bottom of the pile. That's how we celebrated winning this one game. It was, it was incredible. I'm throwing children in the air, right? There, there's so many kids who are just like tiny and skinny, and I'm just like, yes, we freaking scored. There's a video. I wish we had a video of the end of the game of scoring that bucket because it's just like so much tension. And then to have it be released, it's just like, for me, this was the greatest coaching victory that I have ever had in my entire life. Wow. Because excluded. as yeah. I have told you, you know how it feels good to win something. When you've seen the darkness. You have to see the darkness, and we have seen a lot of darkness this year. Even up until this game, I've never been part of a game. I mean, I haven't. they don't keep score for most of the games, right? Up until, like, fourth grade. And then the team that I had last year kind of dominated. We finished in a tie, but, like, that was the only game that they lost. And there was never one of these moments, but we've been fighting and fighting and fighting and pushing. And then to finally score six points in the last minute, have one player score six points in the last minute and win, I was just like, damn, that, that was a great coaching moment because we fucking fought for it. We saw the darkness. And now, no matter what happens for the rest of the year, that's it. That was like cherry on top of the entire season. I gave them medals today. Literally, we had medals to give them at the end of the season. I was just like, fuck it, I'm doing it this week. There's only two more games after this. There's one more practice after this. Like it was goddamn Star Wars. I crowned them with medals at the end. <laughs> wow, did Chewbacca get one? Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, okay, what do you think they're going to name the movie that's done when people listen to this story about your team? <laughs> when wow. Pete Carroll tells everyone the story. Yeah, Pete, about I wish. Because I have, I have a name. Okay? What, what is the name? Jordan Rules. Jordan Rules. <laughs> I told. It's, it's, it doesn't center you enough. So I'm sure you No, no. Like I'm that. happy for Jordan. Jordan did it all. He scored six points in like a minute and a half. It was an out-of-body experience for Jordan. Wow. We were talking about who to leave in because there's one player. And I was like, who do you want to leave in? And the assistant coach. And he was like, well, I don't want to. He's like, it's my kid, so I don't want to say it. But I feel like we should leave Jordan. And I'm like, that's what I was thinking too. So coaching matters. <laughs> After the game, we were playing in the driveway, and I was like, you know how when you shoot and you uh, say a player's name when you take a jump shot? And I was like, I said Jordan when I took the shot, and this time I meant you. Wow. <sighs> it, was, it was incredible. We went and got Ivers after, because I'd promised Luca he'd get Ivers if they won a see, game. See, you wouldn't tell me whether you'd won the game, but you called when we were driving to Portland and said you were at Ivers, so I knew that you won the game. Oh. That part of the suspense was spoiled by that. I'll show you the video. It was pandemonium at the end. Maybe, maybe show this to me after we're done with the pod. Nope. It's <laughs> no. not, do not have time to edit this podcast tonight, which is why we're not getting okay. any, any uh, intro to the coaches. Do, 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 do. <laughs> uh, one of my all-time pieces of trash talk was... Uh, my, Look my at us celebrate saying, everybody's wow, hugging. tried to Look, tackle you. That was Mateo who tried to tackle yeah. me. Yeah, well, at least he didn't flip you off. Look at them going nuts. Parents are coming over. That's Jordan with his dad crying. Look at him. Uh, now you're lifting him. And now I'm go. lifting him. 
Wow. Do you see him crying? And you're wearing the the written I This was the first jersey. time I wore the actual coach's jersey. Oh, there's a coach's jersey? I didn't know that was a thing. Oh, it's a shirt. Uh-huh. Look how happy he is. Anyway, one of my all-time pieces of trash talk was uh, one of our friends when we were playing one-on-one saying, Reggie, at that point after Reggie Miller, because uh-huh. it was the mid-1990s and we're extremely old, and me countering with Reggie Theus uh-huh. is... As the the player he was actually That's, invoking, I told him after the game, I was like, "That was a Reggie Miller like performance." Oh, nine points eight seconds yeah. at this point. In the case, it's six points, minute and a half. Which for you know, physics grade basketball is like absolutely. Well, you know who scored a lot more than six points in a minute and a half? Is that Dame Lillard? It was Damian Lillard on Sunday night when he scored seventy one points as the Blazers beat the Houston Rockets, tied for the eighth most in a game in NBA history. Kobe Bryant, Wilt Chamberlain, David Thompson—the only three players who have ever scored more points in a game, and it was the highest true shooting percentage ever in a 70-point game. Damian Lillard having already recorded the most efficient 60-point game by true shooting percentage in January. I dropped a lot of Damian Lillard stats on this week's Hoop Collective. Uh, Brian Windhorst in the Hoop Collective pod, so check that out. But this is what we need to note is, it was literally in Portland on Sunday, <laughs> having gone to the Springsteen concert on Saturday. Did not go to this game. Did not even watch this game. Is, it is devastated that I, I missed out I was on this. the same thing. I was playing a stupid game on Switch. I was like, I just need to like turn off my brain for a second here after a long day, long weekend of coaching. <laughs> I was like, I'm just going to play a game. I'm not going to think about anything. And then you messaged like, is Dame going for 70? And that was I at halftime when he had 41. If I, if I would have seen that, that would have been great. Didn't see it. Uh, you messaged that, and then like the next notification I had was ESPN being like, Damian Lord scores 71 points. And I was like, well, guess he went for 70. So I had to, on Sunday morning, I went to the concert with our mom and her friend, <laughs> had to drive them back to Seattle because they Oh, you would have stayed otherwise? No, probably not, because okay. it was the Blazers and the Rockets, but I would have considered it. <laughs> and instead, I happened to be out for the evening on Sunday night. And I saw that, like I saw on the ticker on ESPN in a bar that he had 41 at halftime. So zero seconds of this game live. Damn. It is brutal. So hopefully we'll score 75 when I'm there on Wednesday. All right. Let's count on it. (laughs) (laughs) Who are they playing? Uh, The Pels. Big game for them. Especially after a, a tough loss, let's say, Tuesday night to the Warriors in the Bay. Let's get into Seattle sports, starting with the Mariners, who are playing baseball games Hello. with a pitch clock Whoa. in spring training. Uh, everyone was very excited that the first spring training game lasted like two and a half hours, I think. Uh-huh. Has that been the case? That's been a similar trend? I don't know if that's necessarily carried over quite that fast, but clearly the pitch clock is making things faster. So that is a positive. Uh, Jared Kilnick, the story of spring training probably oh, yeah. so far with his two home runs on s- Sunday. So that's very exciting. I don't want to get into Mariners hot takes territory here, but I don't think it would be unfair to predict that Jared Kelenic is going to set the AL home run <laughs> record this year, going to break the record that was set last year. Literally one-year-old record. Yeah. Uh, Evan White, also healthy and playing for the Mariners after suffering a sports hernia during 2022 spring training that required surgery. He then suffered a setback while rehabbing with Tacoma that sidelined him much of the season. That came after season-ending hip surgery in 2021. So the last game that uh, that Evan White played for the Mariners was early in the 2021 season. It's It's been a minute. I'm excited to see it. Probably won't break camp with the team, but uh, still just exciting to see him healthy and playing. So those are, those are the main storylines so far. I'm we'll ready to go. It's freaking March. 
I am not ready to go. It's, Baseball's coming. It's like, like 35 the, degrees out there. The season starts quite early this year. Is this earlier than normal? Like it's like a March 28th opening day. I think that's about when it usually is okay. now, when there isn't a uh, a in off season a lockout. Lock. Got it. Yeah, um, yeah. They they do. They're doing everything the faster now. <laughs> they're not. The season is not going any faster, sir. But we were looking at almost literally four weeks from today, the MLB season will start. There you go. So I'm, I'm so ready for it. We have that. The children's baseball season starts right after it. I can't freaking wait. A lot of baseball. All right, Kraken, a 6-5 loss Thursday to the Boston Bruins in a thriller. They took a 5-4 lead through Jaden Schwartz with 4-10 left to play, only for the Bruins to answer inside of 30 seconds later, then net the game winner with 138 to play. Heartbreaking loss there. It was less thrill on Sunday as the Kraken were beaten 5-1 by the Maple Leafs at home. Mark Giordano scored the opening goal in his first trip back to Climate Pledge Arena. Uh, on Tuesday, the Kraken snapped their three-game losing streak by beating St. Louis 5-3 in the opener of their four-game road trip. Brandon Tanev scoring an empty netter in the final seconds to seal that one uh, with a great deal of tension. It certainly felt for a minute there like the Blues were going to even it up. The win brought the Kraken back into a tie for third in the Pacific Division with Edmonton. They still have a game in hand over the Oilers. Uh, we are coming up on the NHL trade deadline Why this so Friday. Uh, they're like less serious about preventing trade. It's more like the baseball trade deadline where it's like not actually a deadline kind of. Okay. So that's part of it. Uh, Kraken GM Ron Francis told Ian Furness on KJR, I wouldn't expect anything major. If we do anything, it will probably be tweaking around the edges. So they're not going to overreact to the fact that they're in the playoffs in year two. It's still a very long-term vision built around this young core. I think that's great. I actually watched some hockey this last week. Did you? I, th- I told you this, right? Yeah. I watched the Boston Bruins game. They scored They scored the goal to go ahead, and I was like, it's done. All right. <laughs> I think I know the sport. I'll be going home now. Turn this off. <laughs> yeah. uh, and then the Bruins came back and scored those two goals in instant succession. I was like, well, well. Tough beat. Yeah. Bruins are very good, as are the Maple Leafs. I, I also didn't know how good the Bruins were going in. I was like, oh, this joke Bruins team over here. And then they were talking about Who the- could have a successful sports franchise in Boston? <laughs> <laughs> City notorious for sports failure. That was an exact... I was just like, I don't know. Like, I'm going to the Celtics game on Friday. The Celtics-Nets. It's not as exciting as it seemed back when I first <laughs> yeah. realized that lined up with my trip there for the Sloan Conference. Oh, Lord. Celtics-Nets, huh? Yeah. A lot of Mikhail Bridges. All right, Seattle Sounders. Are the, the Nets are still kind of good, though, right? Not bad. No, they've, I mean, they've been losing a lot of games, though. They've lost three in a row. Three and seven in their last Are ten. the Knicks good? The Knicks okay. are good. They they're, have moved Paxley ahead in the standings. They're the five seed now in the East. That's all. The, they've won like six in a row, and they're only the five seed. I mean, there's a big gap between the top four in the East and everyone else. So, yeah. But five would be a great outcome for them. What is their percentage chances of making the Eastern Conference Finals? Not very high. Low. Okay. I mean, they're not really good. For what they are expected to be, they're really good. I I've been I've been toying with the idea of maybe like cheering for the Knicks a little bit, just vis a vis like the Celtics, obviously, or even Philly. I think it would just be kind of nice for there to be a good Knicks team. It certainly is exciting when the Garden is happy about things, but. have you encountered Knicks fans when things are going well? Probably not. No, no, it's been a minute. Uh, well, I'll I'll survey them this week. 
<laughs> yeah, let me know what you what you hear. And if you find a Nets fan, I'd love to know <laughs> yeah. that too. <laughs> I don't know which of us will see more Nets fans, me at the Nets game or you in in, in Brooklyn, yeah. staying in Brooklyn. <laughs> uh, uh, in exciting news, Seattle Sounders got a feel good start to their season in MLS play on Sunday. Uh, beating Colorado Rapids 4-0. Real Rodriguez missed out due to hamstring strain and was replaced by Bear. but otherwise, the Sounders had their first choice 11. Christian Roldan early on worked the crossbar in the fourth minute and then opened the Sounders' 2023 account by heading home a rebound of his own shot in the 25th minute off a great Jordan Morris cross. Morris then doubled the lead by poaching a loose ball in the box and heading it home just before halftime in what uh, the Men in Blazers listener would recognize as Judge Ivor Bennett time. Sounders kept pouring it on in the second half with Bear netting his first Sounders goal in the 53rd wow. minute. Uh, a great moment for players named similarly to French-Canadian names. <laughs> Followed by a second Morris goal in the 83rd minute. Sounders allowed just two shots on goal and dominated the expected goals. SPI had it 4.4, which is about the biggest expected goals total like, I've ever seen, to 1.5 based on the team's shots. Wow, okay. Yeah. Uh, this is another match you didn't game you didn't see any of, correct? None, no. Yeah. Okay. Dynamite dropping. <laughs> I mean, uh, this Saturday, <laughs> Sanders host Real Salt Lake making their second consecutive trip to the Pacific Northwest. Salt Lake beat Vancouver two one on Saturday, coming back from down one nothing with goals in the seventieth and seventy third minute, with Demir Krylak netting the winner in his MLS return after back surgery last year. I had to prep for the important review of the. $1 Japanese baseball game uh, that I bought on Nintendo Switch. Wait, what I had to cry out. There's some like almost like Wii Sports looking Japanese baseball game that was a dollar and I was like, hell yeah, let's go. So it's no baseball simulator is what you're saying? Not even close. No. Oh, man. Well, Rain continued their preparations for the NWSL season, beating Club America 3-1 in a preseason friendly at Starfire Stadium. Ziara King in an own goal in the first half, followed by a goal from trialist Mackenzie Weinert in the late stages. As expected, none of the U.S. women's national team players on the Rain saw action coming off of their win in the She Believes Cup. Uh, as is typically the case, the Rain will participate now in a four-team preseason tournament at Providence Park in Portland from March 12th through 18th, facing the Thorns Racing Louisville and the U.S. Women's National Team under-23 roster. UW softball went 4-1 in the Mary Nutter Classic with a bizarre 11-3 loss to Kentucky in extra innings. That's pretty wild. On Thursday, teams were tied 3-3 heading to the 8th where the Cats opened the floodgates on relievers Lindsey Lopez and Brooke Nelson, getting eight consecutive batters on base, including six hits. Huskies had just four hits in the game, though two of them were home runs by Kinsey Fiedler and Bailey Klingler. Earlier Thursday, Kelly Lynch no-hit Bethune-Cookman through five innings, striking out 13 of the 16 batters she faced as the Huskies won by run rule 16-0. They were not scored upon in any of their other games, over the weekend, beating Long Beach State, UC San Diego, and San Diego State by a combined 23 to nothing scoreline. So, uh, despite the loss, Huskies dropped just two spots to number 12 at 13 and 3. They're actually still four spots ahead of Kentucky. Okay. Huskies off to the Grand Canyon Classic in Phoenix this weekend while they face Michigan State, Boise State, New Mexico, Charlotte, and host Grand Canyon in their final tune up before beginning Pac 12 play. Okay. I mean, it's definitely a lot of colleges. 
<laughs> None of them are ranked. <laughs> okay. How, how they are at uh, softball, I'm not really so Big sure. Big Ten, about. notably not that good at softball. Really? Yeah, they better put some of that uh, new TV money. to When they add UCLA, UC, I'm pretty sure, doesn't play softball, but UCLA is UC a national power. UC doesn't play softball at all? I don't think so. Well, we, UCLA it, obviously is. It's our yearly rundown of which Pac-12 schools do not play softball. I, how could not all of them play? It's, it seems like such an easy sport to play. It it does. I yeah. understand you do need a stadium for it. Like you need a separate stadium for it. But I can assure you that USC can afford it. <laughs> yes, you would think so. But adding UCLA, like UCLA is poised to dominate the Big Ten in softball. It'd be very strange. I don't. That just sounds so strange to me. Pending something we'll talk about in a second here. Okay. We got a lot of teasers on this week's pod for some reason. What else is coming? You know what's coming. You you suggested it. I understand that, but you said a lot of teasers. Well, just previously we had been like Damian Lillard. We'll talk about him, etc. You know, women's basketball lost both games on the L.A. road trip uh, to close out their regular season. A 47-43 loss Thursday at USC. After going scoreless in overtime in their home loss to the Trojans, the Huskies shot one for 14 from the field in the first quarter Thursday at USC, scoring just two points. So they had scored two points in their previous 15 minutes of action against Holy USC. Shit. I mean, that's how you end up with a 47 to 43 line. But they got back within six by halftime and had a chance to tie in the final oh. three seconds before a turnover sealed the USC win. Huskies were also competitive against number 19 UCLA in a loss in Saturday's regular season finale, leading 34-33 at the break before being outscored 18-10 in the third period of a 70-62 loss. Both Ella Dean and Hannah Steins, the star freshman, scored double figures off the bench. So despite the two losses, Huskies, the number nine seed in the Pac-12 tournament where they will face number eight Oregon in the opening game Wednesday afternoon, shortly after this podcast comes out, it is almost certainly a loser-out matchup with the Ducks the first team out in the latest ESPN Bracketology. And the Huskies still atop the next four out, despite their 0-2 weekend. Uh, These two teams split the season series with both winning at home. Oregon last weekend snapped a seven-game losing streak by sweeping the Arizona schools at home, pretty improbably to beat number 14 Arizona. Uh, They were still in those games shorthanded without Grace Van Sluten, their second-leading scorer and rebounder who hasn't played since an ankle injury against Washington State before the Ducks played at UW that weekend. Coach Kelly Graves said he's not sure that Van Sluten will be able to play. Starting guard Chance Gray also did not practice Monday and could miss out for Oregon. So this is happening today as this podcast is released. Today, what yes. time? Two thirty p.m. All right. So the opening game of the you're going to want to go ahead and remind me of that <laughs> when that's coming. I will. I will see. I have no idea. What or I guess they're not. Uh, you know. You know they are. They definitely are. What yeah. work is going on? But this is a monster game. I will be on the train to Portland during this game, so I will not be watching it myself. Okay. Well, I feel like I'll be. I don't. I haven't looked at the the calendar or whatever, but like. If they if the Huskies win this game, do we think they're in? I don't think they're quite in. I it would obviously be important for their their resume. Then they would face Stanford. The number they go to the or, number one. No, seed. actually Utah, I believe, ended up the number one seed. Oh, interesting. Utah beat Stanford on on Saturday to clinch a share of the Pac-12 title. I'm not. Let me double check how that tiebreaker played out. And who they would face. Stanford, they actually have had fared much better against the season than Utah. So I don't know if I would go so far as to say they've owned them. But uh, 
they, they might actually have a better chance of pulling that upset. Uh, no, Stanford did still end up the number one seed. They won that tiebreaker despite Utah winning last Saturday head-to-head. So maybe a combination of a win. I mean, Oregon's in right now at this point, right? No, Oregon was the first team out. Oh, okay. So definitely, like, if you win, you replace Oregon in that spot and knock them off the bubble. It does. And it there's does also the element of, depend of on all the at-large bids. Exactly. We yeah. haven't had a, I, some of those tournaments may already have started, uh, but I don't know. We've had a lot of bid theft, as we like to talk about. But like you, you play Stanford competitively. You beat Oregon and play Stanford competitively. And then it's at least worth watching. We're watching Sunday. Yeah, because yeah. we're not watching the the men's no, no, show. Not, not unless the uh, UW men win the Pac-12 tournament. Even then, <laughs> if they win the Pac-12 tournament, that would be pretty exciting. <laughs> A Georgetown-esque run. Uh, so let's talk about the men who split in the Bay Area. They never trailed in Thursday's 65-56 win at Cal, opening up with a 13-5 lead. The Bears then got within 22-20, and Braxton Mia was in foul trouble, uh, but Huskies still held them off. We were, Cal was within six in the second half, but the Huskies managed to answer again. Keon Brooks Jr., 24 points on 9-14 shooting and 11 rebounds to lead that victory. Then the inverse of that Sunday at Stanford is they never led going behind 8 nothing to start the game and trailing by as many as 19 before a 7 nothing run to end the game made the final 12-point margin look respectable. Right. Certainly a make-or-miss element. Cardinal went 12 of 24 on threes, the Huskies 4 of 17. Jamal Bay did have a season-high 21 points and 8 boards in his last road game for UW. That loss means the Huskies cannot catch Wazoo in the Pac-12 standings with a win in Thursday's conference finale, the uh, basketball Apple Cup series game being played at Heckhead. Huskies can't finish any higher than eighth. They, Colorado and Stanford could also be involved in tiebreakers with them if they lose. They would win any tie involving Colorado, which is currently one game back, but lose two-team tiebreaker if it's just Stanford and them. Uh, tying without Colorado being in the mix. If the Cardinal win out and Colorado and UW lose, Cougars could still have a lot to play for. They could still hypothetically finish in a tie for fourth with a win or fall seventh with a loss. So last Sunday, Percy Allen had a story about Mike Hopkins' uncertain future as UW head coach, in which Hopkins argued that this team is as good as the first two years as coach when the Huskies went to the NIT and the NCAA tournament. Here's what he had to say. Obviously, the record doesn't say that, but those two years, we were what? We were healthy. This year, we lose two guys, which I think cost us six games. We get them in those games, then we're as good as we've ever been. If we had no Williams from the beginning... What does that mean, cost us six? Like, he's crunched the numbers and been like, there were six wins? If we had no Williams from the beginning and Frank kept Nong all year, we're plus six in the the category, or the column, uh, which referred to wins and losses. I really believe that, but sometimes those things happen. So, I wanted to give Hop a little bit of the benefit of the doubt here. <laughs> and I will say that, like... Obviously, the Huskies have been very dependent on Braxton Mia not getting in foul trouble yes. with Kepnong out of the lineup. There are four games I think you can point to and say plausibly, if you have Kepnong, those are wins <laughs> You're actually of trying losses. to find the six games? Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, this is like calculating what day it was on it. It was a good day. <laughs> trying to figure out which six games the Huskies would have won Did with you know Williams and Frank Kepnong. Today is the day yeah. they come back to. In back, back to the future part two. Uh, <laughs> So the game that Kepnong was injured at Oregon State, Mia did not play 
Kepnong went down mid-game. They lost that one by one. That one, I think you can comfortably say, yes, if Kepnong were healthy, they would have won. The USC game uh, at home, they were plus one with Mia on the court in a 13-point loss. That's being very generous, but I'll give him that one. At USC, they were plus 12 with Mia on the court and lost by six. They were minus 18 with him on the bench. Kepnong might have made the difference there. Mia was a better player than Frank Kepnong, though. Yeah, but it, having just having two competent seven-footers, setting aside the ability to play them together at times. And then at Washington State, they were plus two with Mia on the court, lost by five. So that's, I, I get to four plausibly. The, but the other thing that Hop is not noting here is that the Huskies have massively outperformed their point differential. They're number 59 in terms of Ken Pomeroy's luck calculation. There's and been some fun differential this year. Exactly. As there was last year as well to get to 500 in conference play. The Huskies like were not very good even when they briefly had... Kepnong and uh, Mia together, even though they did it's in what seems improbable, more improbable by the day, beating St. Mary's. Oh, t- I was just thinking about that when you're talking about this. That was on Thanksgiving night, right? Correct. That was an actual er, eternity ago. Yeah. It was one full eternity ago that UW beat St. Mary's on Thanksgiving night. St. Mary's is now up to number eight in the Ken Palm rankings that after is, beating Gonzaga. They beat them the, again on Saturday. Let's fucking go. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh my god uh, so they, they, this is the beginning of the end for Gonzaga it was a good run it was a good run they had it, I mean you know they didn't win any national championships but participation I think is important they they had a one seed we had a one seed I would say that they're probably similar to the run that UW had uh, would they, you like to go through some teams they've never had the number one pick in the draft okay. we've done that like often the number one uh, Markel Fultz uh huh who else that's it okay <laughs> Paulo, I'm I'm giving honorary credit. <laughs> I am definitely not giving honorary credit to Paulo. We get at least a quarter. Uh, some teams that are ahead of UW in the Ken Palm rankings: UC Irvine, Indiana State, Louisiana, James Madison, Hofstra, uh, Drake, Santa Clara, <laughs> Kent State, Iona. Oh well, uh, definitely Iona is Rick Pitino, hot coaching candidate. You know about this? No. Oh, yeah. He's going to get a major conference job, it sounds like. Rick Pitino is Iona's coach right now? He is. The Rick Pitino? Not Richard Pitino. He's coach of New Mexico, yeah. which is also good. Like the Rick Pitino. <laughs> or the original recipe, Rick Pitino. Kentucky and Louisville, people like that? Yep. Uh, Sam Houston State. Yale. Charleston. Uh, who else here is funny? That, oh, Oral Roberts. <laughs> who else here is funny? <laughs> <laughs> North Texas. Oh, solid number 54. Liberty is ahead Ooh, of number 41. Yikes. Florida Atlantic, number 30. So, yeah, I don't know that by this argument. It's, I guess, the uh, moral of the story here. That Noah Williams was... Isn't this Noah Williams who also had a DNP CD last weekend? I mean, I assume part of his argument is that Noah Williams is not playing because he's just not 100%. Uh-huh. So... You wanted to talk about this. We alluded to this earlier. Jason Shear of Arizona State, CatsInsider.com, reported Monday that Oregon and Washington believe they will be able to get into the Big Ten at a decreased share, referring, of course, to the TV revenue, once the president and commission situations are straightened out. I don't know what president situation. That's what I was wondering wondering about, too. This is obviously like figuring out the commissioner post-Kevin Warren leaving. Correct. 
So maybe UW softball will also be able to take advantage of that soft underbelly of the Big Ten. So th- there was also a report from John Wilner saying, which John, I, I, I'm not confident that I really trust John Wilner's reporting. It is very pro Pac-12. Well, he's, I mean, it's not even a report. It's a sense. Yeah, his, his vibes. Yeah. And I think his vibes are always pretty pro Pac-12, maybe out of a self-preservation or something. But to me, I, I think that being— So he said that he did not think that those schools would accept a, anything less than 100% share of TV revenue. I get it, and I understand. I get it, fundamentally speaking, if you're the University of Washington, and you're just like, we're going to take less than fucking Iowa is taking. Like, it, it makes Iowa's sense. not the team to single out here. Northwestern. Rutgers. Rutgers. Like, there, there are a lot of schools in the Big Ten that you could confidently be like, we are bringing in more revenue than these schools are. Absolutely. Uh, more than half of the Big Ten. But being part of the the club, I think, is important at this point. And I think that UW and obviously Oregon recognize that being the Big Ten is the Big Ten and the SEC are the two conferences going forward. We'll see what ends up happening with the ACC. I think we'll probably get to the point where there's kind of like two, maybe three super conferences. Being part of one of those is more important than your pride or your perspective about it. And the reality is this is something that's going to happen now and long-term things are going to change. So being in at the moment, let's say that there's another yeah, shakeup. You wouldn't be part of a reduced share of the next TV contract, presumably. And, and the Big Ten might not be the same as the Big Ten 15 years from now. It but might not be those exact I, same schools. I think you should assume that nothing will be the same. So already being aligned Drake. with the biggest schools, because I think UW, is in a, they're not, UW and Oregon are not on the same tier as Ohio State and Michigan and USC and U, U, UCLA, probably. UCLA? Well, USC. Yeah. UCLA is still in LA. Good for them. But they're not quite at the same tier as those schools are, but they can pretty confidently say that they're in the second tier of the of those Big Ten schools in that hypothetical Big Ten. Yeah. And if some kind of split happens, they're probably in because they bring something that is more valuable to the conference than somebody who's kind of in the sort of like Big Ten pocket of schools does. Right, Illinois is not necessarily bringing Northwestern. Isn't bringing any sort of. Yeah, I would say Illinois is. It does offer a major media market because of Chicago. I get that. Yeah, but like they're not adding a time zone. No, and by adding a time zone for TV, UW and Oregon are bringing them something with USC and UCLA also, but adding especially adding partners in that time zone. It's an added value to a hypothetical super conference in the future. Those are probably the four most important schools on the West Coast for football. Yeah. Is USC, UCLA, UW, and Oregon. And by being one of those four schools... I, don't it, think, I mean, I don't think there's really any question about that. It does mean that it's, it, they're more premier TV rights schools. So, I, we'll see. I, I don't know how long this time period is. I'm still at the, uh, the place of like, we're not going to be here if UW is in the Big Ten. I think we are going to be breathing a sigh of relief at this point with the conversation about Pac-12 media rights, Pac-10 media rights, whatever. Like San Diego State and SMU don't excite me that much. You know, it doesn't feel like all of a sudden, like, we're good, we're set. Lost USC and UCLA, but now there's San Diego State and SMU. It's just not the same. And to me, 
when we're there, if we were to join the Big Ten, competing in those games, being at that level of conference or whatever, we're not going to be fucking worried about that percentage, right? If UW goes in and beats one of those teams, like maybe their fans could be like, yeah, we're taking full share or whatever. It's like, that's good no, for you. I think it's more like, can you compete against those teams? But it doesn't, less we've TV been money through this. The, the money is not that big of a deal. For what? For performance on the field. Other I mean, school, I think it's, it's more like that every SEC I think it's more school. that you bring in a lot more season ticket revenue than Northwestern does. Sure, it ends up evening itself out or whatever. But like the reality is, you Rutgers has been in the Big Ten for a long time and has not gotten better at football. It is true. The being in the conference doesn't automatically. Make I think it's you more better. the you have to compete with the other teams in the conference. Yeah, but it's if you're competing against teams that also have huge season ticket bases and are getting more TV revenue than you, that's where you could be at a competitive disadvantage for a period of time. Sure, but that shit's been happening forever. Like, UW is probably not going to be as good as Ohio State. But it's not Ohio State that I'm talking about. Who it's is it? Nebraska? Purdue. Purdue. Get the fuck out of here. I mean... I, I just I don't buy that the TV money is going to make that big of a difference. But, the, like, obviously UW is not getting as much TV revenue right now, but they're not playing a Big Ten schedule right now. And they're playing other teams that get the same amount of TV revenue, and they are a shark in that big pond, relative shark in that big pond, a small pond. Now you're going to a much bigger pond, and you're a smaller fish. Foot, college football is an opportunity and a regional sport still as well, though. Being the quarterback for the University of Washington is a bigger deal than being the quarterback for Purdue. And there's, there's only one job available for every school. And again, it's regional. It's not like UW is all of a sudden going to be competing for players in the Midwest because they're in the Big Ten. You know what's the highest rated all-time school on sportsreference.com's simple rating system? Is it Purdue? No. <laughs> what? It's Iowa pre-flight. It is, a, it is the wow. correct, correct region. Norman Naval Air Station, Great Lakes Navy. I assume that these teams... What are you showing me? Huh? What is this? I just sorted by like all-time simple rating system, and I assumed that these just happened to be schools that were made up of of people in the military during the war. <laughs> okay, they had the best football players and therefore had amazing ratings. Ohio State's the number one among actual colleges. USC's number three. I was curious who is similar to to UW in the uh, in the Big Ten. This is the all-time simple rating system? Yes. UW is not as high as I would expect them to be. Minnesota is slightly ahead of them all-time. Which, which decades are bringing us down here out of the 107 years of <laughs> well, I think we, we were at some of them. <laughs> I can tell you which decades are bringing us down. I don't know that Minnesota was doing super great in those decades. <laughs> there was a year where we confidently considered the punter the best player on the team. Just one? Sean Douglas, baby. Uh, anyway, I think being, I'm. It could mean that the Ohio State football cancellation. We might have been misreading it. I I still don't think so, but it's possible. We will see. All right, let's wrap up with the Seahawks. As we mentioned at the top, lots of Seahawks news Tuesday at the start of the NFL Draft Combine, starting with the news that center Austin Blythe. Announced his retirement at age 30 after a lone season in Seattle. Blythe started all 17 games after signing a one-year deal as a free agent. His 
like Sean Dugar mentioned recently on the pod, he Blythe had said his options were either returning to the Seahawks or retiring. Uh, so maybe an indication of where the Seahawks were planning to go there. It was it was already a spot that, that they might have prioritized to upgrade this offseason, whether via the draft or free agency. So farewell to Austin Blythe. Uh, farewell also to Sean Desai, who will become the Eagles defensive coordinator. Source Pete Carroll, who <laughs> told reporters that after at his media availability, he replaces Jonathan Gannon, who was named the Arizona head coach after helping the Eagles to the Super Bowl. Desai is the fourth Seahawks coach to earn a promotion somewhere else this offseason. He spent a single year in Seattle as assistant head coach defense, and Carroll told reporters that Desai's big picture role would be difficult to replace which I think makes sense. It seems like it was kind of a rule they created for him after he was left out of the defensive coordinator carousel last season. Oh, it, it sucks losing Sean Desai. I, I mean, we were excited about it for a reason. That's it. And the secondary played as well as I think we hoped they would. And You know, it's tough to disentangle how much of that is Sean Desai versus Carl Scott coming as defensive defensive backs coach versus Clint the, Hurd versus Pete Carroll. The players. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, Tariq Woolen developing like he did, like... He had that raw talent, but for him to develop that quickly, I think, is a great testament to the Seahawks coaching staff, and Desai was a part of that. Yeah. No, I it, it just sucks. But also, looking at it, like I was kind of cheering against Sean Desai getting this job, and I was like, well, that kind of feels shitty. Right, exactly. And, and I feel like he is somebody who, even though he couldn't get a defensive coordinator job last year, kind of strangely, because any bad white defensive coordinator ends up being promoted with the Arizona Cardinals. But, like, the... Oh, uh, what? Oh, he had a good Super Bowl to you? This, Where did they finish in DVOA? I'm sorry I, that they did, didn't do well enough against the Kansas City Chiefs. Oh, notoriously easy God, I, offense Don't make me bring up the list of quarterbacks that the Eagles played. Anyway, it's just a really easy thing to do as a, <clears throat> a white coach to be promoted. Like, Sean Desai had a hard time finding a job last year. I still think he's somebody who, if things go well for the Eagles this year, He'll be getting interviews for head coaching jobs. Oh, for sure. And is somebody who I think could probably will ultimately end up getting a head coaching job in the NFL. Agreed. Uh, Carol and John Schneider both maintain positivity about negotiations with Geno Smith, with Carol saying, quote, we're working on it. The back and forth is all ongoing. How's it going? I think it's going to go the right direction. We've got to get it done. Definitely not a thing that John Schneider would say. We've got to get it done. Uh and then both notably said that resigning Smith would not preclude the Seahawks from taking a QB, even with the fifth pick. Carroll said, we are totally connected to the quarterbacks that are coming out. This is a really huge opportunity for us. It's a rare opportunity. We've been drafting in the low 20s for such a long time. You just don't get a chance at these guys. We are deeply involved with all that. Schneider asked why they would consider a quarterback if they resigned Smith. Said, because they don't go on trees. It's very hard. It's probably the <laughs> hardest position to acquire a talent, a guy that everybody feels very confident in. I just love it in your, your voice because they don't grow in trees. <laughs> it's very hard. That's my reenactment. <laughs> uh, I think these are great quotes. I think it does not change my prior on the Seahawks drafting a quarterback one iota. Really? Partially because it's not something I would have ruled out beforehand, which I think some people would have. I am not ruling it out. Also, at the same time, there, there's a lot of value to say that you're drafting a quarterback, exactly. even if you're not drafting a quarterback. But like that's that's again part of why it doesn't move my prior. I, I, Pete Carroll's right about everything he's saying. So is John Schneider. 
<laughs> Great quarterback prospects do not, in fact, grow on trees. Yeah, if we're being technical. But, like, it is a rare opportunity for the Seahawks. They've, they have not drafted. I mean, they had the ninth pick last year. Yeah, but the ninth pick is not the fifth pick. And also it was a draft where no quarterback, one quarterback was drafted in the first round and not in the top ten. So it was a little different than this year. Uh, I, Based upon... I, I'm still highly skeptical about the reporting about the Seahawks and quarterbacks because I do think that the, it's been reported that the Seahawks were interested in every quarterback who ended up being good and no quarterbacks who ended up being bad except for Baker Mayfield. But it is sort of like, yeah, they're interested in every quarterback. They're interested in telling people that they are interested in every quarterback who ended up being good because it's a great thing to tell yourself. And, and again, I, as I said the last time you brought this up, all of this reporting was done prior to the draft, before it was clear whether these players would be good or bad. I don't think that's true. Of course it's true. The whole, like, Josh Allen workout thing, that was, like, part of what Russell Wilson was upset about, remember? <laughs> if only. No. I mean, uh, how Josh Allen would have developed in Seattle is an interesting question. I think the Seahawks... We're a worse-run franchise. I don't know why this is the case. With Russell Wilson as their quarterback, than they have been. Every time that Russell Wilson has not been their quarterback, they have been a better-run franchise. <laughs> I mean, they did sign Michael Bennett and Cliff Averill when they had I, No, they, they made good decisions with Russell Wilson as the quarterback. But as far as, like, overall process for decision-making, they made, and even strategy in-game-wise for a lot of it at the end, like, they, they ran a lot more play action with Geno as the quarterback this year. The offense was better. I don't know if they ran a lot more play action. I don't think that they had passed more to on early. They passed more on early downs. They did. With Geno as the quarterback. Like, the offense... I mean, it's not like there weren't periods where they did that. Again, let Russ Cook did happen. But they, they had a more modern offense this year with Geno as the quarterback. And the before they drafted Russell Wilson, like, they rebuilt the roster. They drafted players in the right positions. Like... They've been very good when Russell Wilson wasn't the quarterback. And <laughs> Russell Wilson secretly ruining the Seahawks front office? Question mark. I just I have it's a, it's a uh, if it happened in Denver, he would be playing for it. <laughs> I have a lot more faith in the front office now than I did a year ago. I agree with that. And so I wouldn't I would not be shocked at all if they draft a quarterback. Also, and and resign Gino. Also wouldn't have been shocked if they drafted a quarterback last year, for the record. But it turned out that uh, the NFL was not very high on last year's crop of quarterbacks. And so far, other than, other than of course, Kenny Pickett. And so far, not looking wrong on that. Uh, Pete Carroll said... I mean, there was a quarterback who was undefeated until the NFC Championship Oh, game. well, yes, Brock Purdy. Fair. <laughs> I, I was not including him. Uh, the Malik Willis experiment did not go as well. Uh, Pete Carroll said Will Disley will not need surgery on the knee injury that ended his 2022 campaign. Said he thought that uh, Disley would be back for training camp, although we know to take Pete Carroll injury proclamations with a a entire shaker of salt. So, our last bit of Seahawks-related news. The Los Angeles Rams will release Bobby Wagner at the start of the new NFL league year. When you're coming off a career-high six sacks and an all-pro second-team selection, Seahawks officials unable to comment right now because Wagner remains under contract to another team, but Jordan Rodriguez of The Athletic reported that the Rams gave permission to Wagner to speak to teams about a contract before he's officially released, so 
he essentially will be part of the free agent class or even, you know, could start negotiating ahead of that. I mean, this would be awesome. Like, I don't... <laughs> I think the odds of Wagner returning are extremely low. Sure. I agree. The Seahawks aren't... Re- they're not really in that place. I mean, they do need an off-ball linebacker with Jordan Brooks's ACL injury. The issue is just, I don't think that Bobby... like they would want to sign Bobby Wagner to a one-year contract. Yes. And I don't think that's what Bobby Wagner is looking for. I think he wants a bigger payday coming off of a season where he, to some degree, rebuilt his value. That's what I was wondering about is like, is this the year that Bobby Wagner goes and gets a big contract? I mean, I don't know if a big contract is necessarily but something out there. longer term, more guaranteed money yeah. or whatever. Or if the market isn't what Bobby Wagner is expecting... And all of a sudden, it's like he's going to be looking at a one-year contract here or somewhere else. I mean, that's the scenario, I think, that leads to him returning to the Seahawks. I, I just think someone is going to talk themselves into him. I mean, they, they would be right to do so. Right. Bobby Wagner's awesome. But, like, you look at the Seahawks, and last year defensively... They had a Bobby Wagner-sized hole? I mean, they Bobby Wagner's worth at least one extra win on that team. Right? Uh, if you ask it's, Mike Hopkins, it's only six. <laughs> Go through and pick out the games. Uh, it's very hard to attribute a full win to any non-quarterback player. But with the season that Bobby had, the over. How about this? It's funny because he actually was like less awarded than he was his last year with the Seahawks. It's dumb. But and like he, the, if you. The amount that the defense would have been better DVOA-wise, right? They, they actually statistically didn't finish that badly, the defense, I don't think. But they didn't finish that well. If they bump up like six, seven spots in DVOA, is that worth a win? Probably. And is Bobby Wagner hypothetically good enough to have made the defense? Was his season last year good enough to have made the defense have that kind of leap? Again, that's where I come back to. I think it's very rare for any individual player on defense to be worth that much. But you look at the team, you're like, secondary's pretty young, pretty set. Jamal Adams is returning, right? You still look at the at the D-line. Obviously, pass rush is an issue. Got some players or whatever. There's some pieces. You've also got a lot of draft picks. And that's the thing. It's like, oh, certainly. That's a position you're more likely to invest high draft picks in than off-ball linebacker with Jordan Brooks them. coming back. You would rather them do that. Yeah. And... You're like, okay, defensive say Gino comes back. The offense, you know, they there are a few a bits few bits and changes along the way. Bits and changes is not Bit- an expression I've heard before. You add a, a handful of pass rushers, just just some defensive talent through the draft. And then you drop in Bobby Wagner. Are the Seahawks not a competitor in the NFC? They probably are competitive in the NFC. Not just the NFC West. Not like a squeak their way into the wild card. Possibly. So. It would be be pretty cool. Again, I still think it's a long shot. That's, it it would just be a fun outcome. How about that? It would. I agree. On that note. Thanks for listening. Thanks.